Hello, everybody. Once again, I welcome you back to our journey around the world. In this uh, next set of lectures, we're going to be taking a look at Australia and Oceania. Uh, we'll be taking a look in this particular lecture, we'll be taking a look at the physical geography of the region. So, as I mentioned, we're taking a look at Australia and Oceania. Oceania contains two distinctly, two distinctly different worlds. Australia and New Zealand are culturally and economically linked with Europe, even though the landforms are distinctly not European. The rest of the region, Oceania, consists of island chains covering the South Pacific. This region is sub subdivided into three distinct regions. We have Polynesia, Melanesia, and Micronesia. Oceania is united by historical isolation, cultural clashes, and a relatively new political geography in the region. Uh, obviously, Australia and New Zealand dominate this region. Australia has a huge, dry interior that we refer to as the outback that is very sparsely settled. New Zealand has mountains and limit and that I'm sorry, New Zealand has mountains that limit settlement there. There are three main archipelagos or island groups in Oceania. Melanesia means dark islands as culturally complex. Polynesia, many islands, is linguistically unified. Micronesia, small islands, includes uh, the microstates uh, uh, includes microstates as well as Guam. So let's take a look at our learning objectives uh, for this uh, uh, for this uh, next series of lectures, as well as the uh, chapter on Australia and Oceania in your textbook. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, we're talking about Australia and Oceania, which also includes New Zealand, and a sweeping collection of islands that reaches halfway into the Pacific Ocean. Um, by the time you finish listening to the lectures and reading the chapter on this region in the textbook, uh, you should understand the unique geography of archipelagos, and as I mentioned before, that word actually means island groups, and the equally unique cultural adapt adaptations that the residents of this region have implemented. You should also understand the relationships between the indigenous peoples of this far-flung region and the European peoples who have come to dominate much of this region and be able to compare this situation to what is found in the United States. Uh, and as you can see on the screen, we're also going to be talking about the uh, complex interactions between the indigenous populations, European, Asian, and North American colonization. Uh, examine the ways in which economic, political, and cultural globalization influence distance in this region. Here are key concepts that you should uh, understand by the time you finish listening to, listening to the lectures and reading the chapter on this region in your textbook. Oceana, Outback, Archipelago, Melanesia, Polynesia, Maori, Micronesia, Mali, Tsunami, High and Low Islands, Hotspot, Aborigine, Viticulture, uh, Kanakas, White Australia Policy, Haoles, Pigeon English, Etoroa, Native Title Bill, APEC, CER Agreement. So, as I mentioned, uh, this is a vast region. It's dominated by water. Um, as you can see, we're talking about Australia, New Zealand, and the island subregions of Melanesia, Polynesia, and Micronesia. They have shared elements of indigenous and colonial history, as I mentioned before. 
So first of all, as I always do, I'd like to take a look at the physical geography of the region uh, because, as I uh, continue to mention, it helps us to understand human activity within, the, uh, within this region as well. So we're going to take a look at the Australian New, New Zealand environments first. Um, in Australia, we have three major, uh, three major landforms, or maybe even four if you want to count the Great Barrier Reef. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll take a look at Australia first. Uh, we have the Western Plateau that covers more than half the country. So we're looking at this area in here, Western Australia and the Western Plateau. And you can see it also is divided uh, into uh, different sections uh, that have uh, different names as well. But we're essentially talking about this area out in here. Uh, the Western Plateau covers more than half the country and geologically represents the remnants of a shield formation that once connected, um, connected to Antarctica. Then we have the interior lowland basins, which stretch north to south for a thousand miles. And so we're talking about this area in here. And you can see from the map, um, uh, from the legend on the map, that these are uh, relatively lowland um, areas by the map. Um, okay, so uh, they stretch for a thousand miles uh, north to south. Most of the region is flat, uh, it's featureless plain with dry lake beds. And, and uh, stream valleys where water is rare. Okay, so we do have some streams in this area, but the water really is very rare. Uh, we'll see that we do some uh, agriculture in this area, but most of it is irrigated agriculture. Uh, we have the Eastern Highlands, which are located on the Pacific Rim. Okay, so this area here. Um, and include the narrow, highly settled coastal plain. So yes, this area here, when we look at the population geography, one of the things that we'll notice is the population is largely concentrated in this area here. This is where we have our largest cities. Okay, This is where we have Canberra, the capital, Sydney, Brisbane is up here, Melbourne is down here. Uh, we also have some population concentrations around Adelaide in this region and Perth in this region. But much of the rest of this region is, or much of the rest of Australia is very sparsely populated, as we'll see. Uh, then, as I mentioned, we have the Great Barrier Reef, right in this area. Uh, the Great Barrier Reef is underwater. It's off the coast of Queensland. Uh, it is one of the world's most remarkable examples of coral reef building. Uh, it's a beautiful area. It's a it's a tourist area. Uh, however, some of these coral reefs are in uh, in danger from uh, environmental pollution and so forth. Uh, the climate of Australia, uh, the north has a monsoon climate, particularly up here in this very northern tip of the, of the, uh, of the country, with dry winters and wet summers, producing tropical woodlands and thorn, uh, thorn forests uh, mixed with open grasslands. Central Australia is dry, as you might imagine. So this is the outback region that, we, that you often hear about. It's uh, very dry with little rainfall, less than one inch per year. Uh, this produces a scrub vegetation. Southeastern Australia has year-round uh, rainfall averaging about 40 to 60 uh, inches per year, producing forests along the coast. So down in this area, we have um, 40 to 60 inches of rainfall a year, southeastern Australia. Southwestern Australia has a Mediterranean climate with dry winters and wetter summers. So we're talking about this area here around Perth. Uh, and this produces uh, a eucalyptus woodland with little economic value. 
Australia also has a uh, interesting biogeography or zoo geography as it's sometimes referred to. Uh, the isolation and gen uh, of this region and genetics created a mammal group in Australia based on marsupials. Bird life is, is highly varied in the region as well. Now we're going to move on to take a look at New Zealand. New Zealand has a very varied landscape as well. Uh, landforms include numerous active volcanoes and geothermal features and the Southern Alps. So the Southern Alps are um, obviously in the Southern Island here of New Zealand. Uh, like, uh, like Australia, New Zealand's isolation produced unique flora and fauna. 85% of New Zealand's native trees and seed plants are found nowhere else on Earth. Bats are the only native mammal to this, uh, to this area. So there's been a lot of uh, invasion by species brought into, uh, into the area from, uh, uh, through colonization in this area. And in some cases, that's really damaged the native uh, plant life and animal life. Uh, the North Island environments are mainly subtropical, has uh, microclimatic variations are found on the volcanic peaks. Most of the flora has been replaced by introduced European species, as I mentioned before. So this is the North Island up here. As you can see, this is where Auckland is located uh, and Wellington, uh, two of the major cities for uh, Australia. Auckland is actually the capital. Uh, and then this is obviously the South Island. Um, so the South Island environments are typical mid-latitude at the north end, while the southern end experiences a winter chill. The west side of the Southern Alps are tropical rainforests, while the east side is grassland. So this area here has a tropical rainforest, mainly because of the winds blowing off the Pacific Ocean. And this area here would be uh, a grassland area. Remember our orographic precipitation that we talked before. So this area is more in a uh, rain shadow, has a rain shadow effect. Now we're going to be look uh, go to Oceania and the Oceanic realm. Um, so how did these uh, island landforms, uh, how were these island landforms created? Melanesia and New Zealand uh, are actually formed from continental rock. Most of the islands of Polynesia and Micronesia were formed by volcanic activity on the ocean floor, with no connection to larger land masses. Hawaii is considered to be a high island. Uh, it's formed by larger active and recently active volcanoes. The Hawaiian archipelago is also an example of a geological hotspot where moving oceanic crust passes over a supply of magma, creating a chain of volcanic uplifts. Low islands are formed out of the erotic, out of erotic coral reef. When these islands form a ring around a shallow central body of water, they form an atoll. And we'll take a closer look at this in a few minutes. Um, pattern of climate. Some of the uh, some islands have high rainfall and dense tropical forests. Low-lying atolls receive much less rainfall uh, than the high islands and sometimes experience water shortages. High islands have lush tropical forests. So essentially what occurs on the high islands is, once again, that orographic precipitation that we talked about. Uh, because we do have uh, moisture-laden air masses that are moving across the region, and when they hit the high islands, the, the uh, mountains of the high islands, um, Obviously, those air masses rise, the uh, uh, cool, and the moisture in them condenses and falls as rain. The low islands, however, because they have no elevation to them, uh, the, the air masses just essentially pass right over top of them without, uh, uh, without dropping any rainfall. Uh, so let's take a look at, uh, so you can see here, Hawaii, uh, very lush vegetation, okay? 
the taro root is a native uh, uh, native staple crop, as you can see, and these would be fields of taro root. Uh, then in uh, indigenous Fijian, Fijian, Fijian I'm sorry, uh, cutting sugarcane uh, on that island. Uh, this is a uh, image of the Australian outback, outback as you can see, uh, with the red sands. But also, we do have some vegetation here. Obviously, um, not many trees, mostly scrub vegetation, as you can see. And then this is New Zealand. This is Mount Taranaki in New Zealand, uh, once a former volcano uh, in New Zealand. A formerly active volcano, I should say that one still is a volcano. It's just not active. And you can also see uh, some of the vegetation in uh, in New Zealand from this image as well. You can see uh, uh, on this particular uh, image the, the lush green grasses and so forth. And what's actually interesting is they grow a lot of sheep in New Zealand. Uh, so sheep production, wool production is a very important economic activity in New Zealand. Uh, this is the Australian, uh, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, as you can see, actually absolutely beautiful. So you can understand why it's a great tourist attraction. And then this is in uh, New Zealand again. This is uh, central Otago. As you can see, um, very nice, uh, very uh, lush vegetation. Uh, this looks like viticulture here. So we're growing grapes for wine uh, here in this area. Uh, we talked about the climate areas of this region. So you can see, obviously, Australia is uh, very dry in the central part. It has a BWH climate, which is a subtropical desert. And then surrounding that, we have our steppe climate, as you can see. And then in the purple uh, color would be our uh, savanna climate. And then a very uh, small area of tropical monsoon, as I mentioned uh, before, mostly on this point area here. Okay. And then along the coastal areas, we have our uh, CFA climates, which are subtropical without a dry season. So remember, these are the areas that receive 40 to 60 inches of rainfall a year. These are also the areas of the uh, densest population. And then over in, the, over in the western areas where we have our Mediterranean climate, our CS climate. And as you can see in Australia, um, we have mostly sea climates in Australia, uh, which indicate uh, uh, humid subtropical, uh, mostly uh, receive sufficient rainfall throughout the year for doing agriculture and so forth. And then you can see many of the islands up in here, uh, because they're so small, and particularly, the, uh, obviously, the smaller islands uh, do have dry climates as well. Some, some, of the, uh, some also have uh, highland climates, particularly the high islands. So moving along to take a look at some of the environmental issues in this region. Um, uh, this region faces challenges that include seismic hazards because it is very tectonically active in this area. It's obviously part of that Pacific Ring of Fire um, that includes periodic, uh, that include uh, obviously seismic hazards such as volcanoes erupting and earthquakes. Um, Australia also uh, experiences uh, periodic droughts and we also have tropical cyclones that impact this area as well from the Indian Ocean. Uh, there's global resource pressures. Mining has a, had a negative impact on many uh, of Australia and Oceania, where semi-arid regions are susceptible to metals pollution. Deforestation has caused a loss of vast stretches of eucalyptus woodlands to create pastures in Australia. Uh, elsewhere, Papua New Guinea, logging pressures cause deforestation as well. 
So uh, what we're really talking about, you can see here on the map of, uh, with Australia, we have areas that are subject to desertification as this uh, uh, great central desert in Australia is, is continuing to spread. And we also have uh, a lot of mining uh, in Australia for uh, minerals. Uh, Australia is actually very resource rich and it, uh, there's a lot of mining activity in Australia. Much of the minerals are exported to Japan and other countries in East Asia uh, to support those uh, industrial uh, economies in, those, uh, in that region of the world. So you can see uh, desertifications are in Australia. Many uh, exotic animals including introduced to Australia have dramatically accelerated the process of desertification. The vast semi-arid pasturelands are also vulnerable to overgrazing. And then uh, you can also see uh, up in Guam, for example, we have uh, the brown tree snake, this non-native species that arrived on a cargo ship from the Solomon Islands uh, decades ago has now taken over the landscape, wiping out most of the native bird species. In some areas, the brown tree snake numbers 10,000 per square mile. So I don't know about you, but uh, snakes aren't my favorite uh, favorite animal or favorite reptile, I guess. Uh, so 10,000, uh, that's almost impossible to imagine, 10,000 per square mile. Um, in, yeah. So anyway, uh, then in Kiribati, residents on many of Kiribati's low islands could suffer greatly as global warming causes a rise in sea level. And that is going to be a real problem for many, particularly the coral, uh, coral islands out in this area, the coral atolls and so forth, because they're very close to sea level. And with rising sea levels as a result of global warming, some of these islands could be in real danger of just actually disappearing. Uh, and that's actually uh, what I was going to be talking about. Uh, so, some researchers actually predict that global warming may cause higher global temperatures to melt polar ice, the polar ice caps, and we're actually already seeing that occur, which will in turn raise, which will in turn raise ocean levels and drown many islands in Oceania. Some islands at low elevations in this region are already experiencing slight increases in water level and increased in coastal erosion. Uh, talking a little bit more about the exotic plants and animals. Exotic plants and animals are those that are non-native. These were animals and plants that have been introduced to the region, and they've had detrimental effects on native animals. In Australia, where the environment lacks the disease and predators that keep rabbits in check, uh, rabbits have reached uh, uh, plague, of, plague proportions um, as large pieces of land were stripped by vegetation by the bunnies. Sheep and goats have accelerated soil erosion and desertification in Australia as well. Uh, island environments have also experienced problems after the introduction of exotic animals. Uh, for example, the moa, a bird larger than the ostrich, became extinct after Polynesian settlers to New Zealand hunted the birds, burned their habitat, and brought accidental uh, brought rats um, that ate the eggs of the moa. During the second wave of migration, European settlers brought non-native species that often competed successfully with uh, native species uh, in the region. So that's a bit about the environmental issues in the region. Uh, and as you can see, uh, in Papua New Guinea, this is the, an example of a strip mine that's uh, very controversial in this region. I mentioned the brown tree snake, and this is an image of the brown tree snake in Guam. And I still can't get over 10,000 snakes per square mile. That would just be like really freak me out, I think. And then, of course, this is uh, logging uh, that's occurring and uh, having a devastating effect on the islands in, in this region.
again, this is phosphate mining on the island of Nauru, okay, as you can see, and it too is having an impact. Uh, phosphate is actually used uh, for fertilizer, so it's very valued uh, for uh, producing uh, fertilizer that we use to put on crops and things like that. And then this is uh, sea level rise, and we're going to talk more about sea level rise. In the, um, this was actually a coral reef, as you can see, and the impact that it's going to have on, on uh, coral reefs. Uh, greenhouse gas uh, problem from, uh, as you can see, from um, the animals that graze in this region. Uh, both Australia and New Zealand uh, graze um, um, uh, in Australia, in particular, cattle is uh, is an important uh, animal that's uh, that's grazed, and then the meat is sold for export. And as I mentioned, in Australia, sheep is a very important um, uh, animal that's grown there. And actually, uh, New Zealand has uh, so I think the ratio is something like 22 sheep for every person, something along those lines. So just an incredible number of sheep in the region. And then you can see we have a wind farm. Uh, in Australia, so at least some efforts to try to protect the environment of the region. Uh, and of course, uh, burn, uh, burning is a problem, as you can see uh, uh, from this area. Is, uh, some of the uh, is essentially what happens is, you know, much like we have in the United States, we have wildfires that occur, and they certainly occur in Australia, uh, especially because Australia, over the last uh, decade or so, has experienced. Uh, quite a few droughts uh, that have really devastated uh, the landscape in Australia. So we've had many brush fires in this region uh, that have destroyed the forests as well, uh, you know, as well as some of the logging activities. Uh, so it's really been a very devastating uh, decade in Australia with uh, the brush fires, the drought, and so forth. And then you can see from this uh, satellite image uh, in Australia's Northern Territory, we also have, you can see the smoke in this area. Uh, once again, from some of the fires that have been uh, started. So let's uh, take a look at how these island landforms actually form. So we're talking about the evolution of a of a um, of an atoll here, uh, a coral reef and an atoll, coral uh, coral atoll. So as you can see, what we have is we have a volcano, an underwater volcano on the uh, ocean bed. And of course, as that, uh, as that uh, magma and so forth rises to the surface, it actually creates an island, okay? And at this point, this would be referred to as a high island because we have a mountain that has formed here. Well, over time, because uh, coral rock or volcanic rock is pretty easily eroded, over time what happens is that this uh, mountain will begin to erode, okay? And we also have uh, a coral reef that begins to form around uh, the island, as you can see in this image here. And then eventually, uh, over time, this coral reef will, you know, have gaps, uh, will form gaps in it. The uh, mountain will continue to erode and become lower in elevation and so forth. And eventually, it will erode to the point where... Uh, the, the mountain will actually disappear, and essentially what we have is this coral reef that surrounds the lagoon. So it's actually pretty interesting. But you can see the mountain, uh, the mountain state is still there, okay? Uh, and then, of course, if this would become active again, become an active volcano again, we would see, you know, and depending, obviously, depending upon its length of activity, we, the potential for 
the mountain to form again uh, could happen. So I think this image up here is a really great image of uh, a, a volcanic mountain at Bora Bora that has actually, you can see it's probably actually eroded over time. You can see the coral reef that has formed around it and discontinu uh, the con discontinuous nature of that uh, coral reef as well. So it's very interesting how these uh, islands uh, form and then they um, erode and then eventually kind of disappear. Now, you know, obviously the fear from uh, rising sea levels in this region is that uh, some of these islands that are very low to sea level will actually obviously disappear when the sea level rises and uh, essentially swamps the islands or floods the islands. So uh, I'm going to stop there with this lecture. Uh, when we come back, we'll take a look at the population settlement and the, uh, and the cultural geography of the region as well.